kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. Sorry about the sound issues. I don't... Not in love with these cables. So I've replaced my microphone and my microphone cable. And the cable's running to and from my mixer. But uh, apparently it's either me or Skype. And I think it might be Skype. It's usually Skype. Yeah. Um, so occasionally... Sounds are going again. Yeah. So yeah, occasionally you'll get a sound-free period, and for some people, that's <laughs> probably blissful. <laughs> <laughs> we don't exactly um, always cover the greatest of news here. So, um, with me tonight is the best producer money can't buy, which is good because I don't pay him. Barry, how good are evening. you this evening? I'm doing well. Just um, recoiled my sub-tank, so, yeah. Nice. That's a good thing. So, um, okay, I I see Miss Jeannie says she's here if we want to add her. Yes, I just saw it popping up. Yeah. Okay. And um, also with us this evening is the lovely, bubbly, and vivacious, ever-so-happy, and cheerful Miss Jeannie K. Blue? Escape's taking its time to connect. Okay, Apologies. well, yeah. so the the effervescent and lovely Miss Jeannie K will be joining us any time. When Skype and decides it wants to let her in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's Skype, and Skype is doing its wonderful job as usual. Um, that update last week didn't really seem to help things. No. So, eh, what can you they do? They never do. <laughs> All right. I think the very first thing I wrote in, I see Jeannie. Are you here? That's still trying to connect. Good God. Okay. So Jeannie will be along eventually. <laughs> Um, and I guess the first thing I wrote in the show notes last week when I was putting this together, um, I, I, yeah, the first thing I wrote about was the teacher who got suspended for reading from Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. 
Yeah. So I guess we'll go with that first tonight. Fifth grade teacher Rafe Esquith um, is internationally well known for his methods and his best-selling books uh, was suspended for reading Mark Twain, says his lawyer. He teaches fifth grades in Koreatown's Hobart Boulevard Elementary School and was suspended by LAUSD back in March and has yet to return to the classroom. Although the district has not said why they're investigating Ellsworth, his lawyer told KACL 9 that another teacher filed a complaint after he read a passage from Mark Twain. He says that if Ellsworth is not brought back to work by the district, he will sue. That's what his lawyer says. The state of California has thoroughly investigated and cleared Rafe, who is a nationally recognized award-winning teacher, said his attorney. If LAUSD does not immediately reinstate Rafe and issue a public apology, we will file immediate legal action. Uh, Garrigo said he gave LAUSD 10 days to respond to his ultimatum. Officials say they hope to complete the investigation before school starts in August. According to the LA Times, Esquith read a segment from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn to his class, which included the following quote. The Duke and his kings worked hard all day, setting up a stage and a curtain and a row of candles for footlights. At last, when he'd built up everyone's expectations high enough, he rolled up the curtain. The next minute, the king came prancing out on all fours, naked. He was painted in rings and stripes all over in all sorts of colors and looked as splendid as a rainbow. After the investigation was launched in March by the school district, Ellsquith has since been in what the union calls a teacher jail, awaiting the results of the case. When you quote Mark Twain, you go to teacher jail. Your reputation is trampled on and ignorant bureaucrats assume the role of judge and jury in the face of a baseless allegation, which has already been found meritless by the California Teacher Credential Committee, said Garagos. His neighbor told KACL that Esquith is a very dedicated teacher and was surprised about the suspension. One parent told the LA Times she's unsure if she'll enroll her son at Hobart Boulevard Elementary if Ellsquith isn't allowed to return. I know so many of the fifth graders cried every night because they're graduating and they were going to have to do that without him. Ellsquith, called the world's most famous teacher by the Washington Post, has written three best-selling books about teaching and is a critic of the overemphasis on standardized testing. His nonprofit, The Hobart Shakespearean, raises money for school materials and has had to cancel all of their performances this year. That just kind of sucks. Well, where to begin with that? Um, <laughs> right, so Mark Twain is your country's national author, mm-hmm. but a teacher will get suspended for quoting him. Apparently. That makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it wasn't even a very controversial quote I mean I know <laughs> there's lots of quite racist stuff in some of Mark Twain oh sure but it wasn't one of those <laughs> I know <laughs> that's kind of the amazing thing to me um, so F the FDA was quite offended by that too bad get over it and I still can't connect to Jeannie I might have to drop the call and bring it back up okay right hang on um, okay well
Hello. Right, that's you back. Let's see if it will genie. Come on, genie. Pick up. Pick up, pick up. It just does not seem to want to connect. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I'm so sad. Well, the only thing would be for me to completely restart Skype, but... Uh, yeah. I shall, I shall give that a go. Back in a second. Okay. Um, sorry for the technical difficulties, guys. Skype is being Skype-ish. Damn you, Microsoft. Hello, John. Hi. No, it's still not getting genie. <laughs> I don't know. I Quit wonder what's up with that. restarted Skype. Yeah. Well. Don't know. It's one of these Skype things. Yeah. We shall have to soldier on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fine. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. A, a lot of Mark Twain stuff was quite um, racist. But, I mean, a lot of writers from that particular time sounded quite racist. Well, so, it, was, I mean, it, was, it was fine in his age. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't, he was one of the better uh, <laughs> writers. So it wasn't as if he was extreme. It was well, that more casual racism, because that's just how everyone spoke back then. Yeah, no, it, it really wasn't. Now, you, you want to read something overtly racist, read some Lovecraft. I mean, that's and I oh, yeah. love H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> love him, but that stuff is so overtly racist. Like, I don't want to be caught reading Lovecraft out in public. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, that's okay. When Great Th Cthulhu wakes from his slumber. <laughs> Aw. Have you um, have you ever seen the YouTube series Calls for Cthulhu? Yes. I love that. That's one of my favorite things. If you're ever bored and want to kill a couple of hours, you know, go to YouTube and type in calls for Cthulhu. It's quite funny. Um, all right. Okay, so last week we talked a little bit about Reason Magazine and what happened to them. And everybody seemed to notice that Reason wasn't saying a damn thing. Well... In case you were wondering why Reason said nothing. A Department of Justice subpoena leaked to Ken Popat White showed that the government was more than willing to stamp all over free speech to protect unthreatened federal judges. The order targeted comments at Reason.com that, while inflammatory and ugly, were decidedly not true threats. Even if one was inclined to believe Reason commenters were going to hunt down the judge who presided over the Dread Pirate Roberts trial and use bullets wood chip slash wood chippers to make her pay for her heavy-handed sentence, 
there was no non-ridiculous way to perceive someone saying there's a special place in hell for Judge Catherine Forrest as somehow being a true threat. Refresh. Um, are, can you guys not hear me? Okay. Uh, while White and many others commented on the subpoena, reason itself remained quiet on the matter outside of a short post asking commenters to refrain from commenting at reason.com on the subject matter of Pope Hat's post. About 10 days later, White speculated that there could be a gag order in place, citing a couple of anonymous tipsters, as well as his own conclusions drawn from available evidence. The existence... <laughs> Skype, me, whatever. The existence of a gag order would be an active effort on part of the government to chill speech at reason, preventing it from discussing the subpoena it had received, as well as encouraging it to extend its chilling effect to its commenters, which it did. No more speculation is needed. Reason did indeed receive a gag order related to the Department of Justice's subpoena. For the past two weeks, Reason magazine dedicated to free minds and markets has been barred by an order from the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York from speaking publicly about a grand jury subpoena that court sent to Reason.com. That gag order has now been lifted. Reason's attorney discussed the matter with the Attorney General's office, pointing out the obvious fact that the subpoena and the comments it targeted were public knowledge. Thanks as ridiculous as the subpoena and the circumstances surrounding it were, Reason still felt compelled to maintain silence while the gag order was in effect. Reason's Nick Gillespie and Matt Welch note that the subpoena originally appeared without an accompanying gag order. Instead, it only contained a request that the contents of the order not be shared. John, you're cutting out. Oh, your, God your, oh, there you go. You're back. Okay. All right. Uh, so, where am I here? Um, more, moreover, if you intend to just... Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. Moreover, if you intend to disclose the existence of the subpoena to a third party, please let me know before making any such disclosure. After a discussion... <coughs> sorry. After a discussion with the U.S. District Attorney, Reason notified the commenters affected, thus allowing them to retain counsel if they wish to assert their First Amendment right to anonymity. At 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, June 4th, our attorney Gail Sproul of Levine, Sullivan, Koch, and Schultz called Bellamore to discuss the subpoena. The call did not go well. Sproul asked... A-U-S-A, Nyketh Villamore, to consider scaling back the scope of the subpoena by omitting the more benign commenters. Villamore said simply, no. Then Sproul informed him that we would be notifying our commenters about the subpoena to give them the chance to defend their rights to remain anonymous and that we would not comply with the subpoena um, and that we would not comply with the subpoena. Um... Sproul explained to him that there's case law firmly establishing that these commenters have the right to speak anonymously and that we would withhold information of anyone fighting the subpoena. Bellamore disputed that any such free speech rights exist. 
he asked that we delay notifying the commenters so he could get a court order prohibiting us from disclosing the subpoena to them. We refused. Sproul pointed out that we were perfectly within our rights to share the subpoena, given the law and the wording of his own letter. Valmore then suggested that Reason was coming close to interfering with a grand jury investigation. So I guess to make a long story short, they told these people they were under investigation. You can still hear me, I hope. Yes. Okay. They told these people they were under investigation and asked them, you know, did they want to retain their own counsel to protect their anonymity? And all of them said no. Now, if you look at the comments that were all subpoenaed, all these people posted with their Twitter handles, they all posted completely as themselves with, you know, their own blogs as their login and things of that nature. So they weren't even trying to hide who they were. I, Hmm. I don't understand what the government gained from this except for trying to chill free speech on the Internet. Yeah, they've just made themselves out to be bullies. Uh, yeah. Oh, and we we have Jeannie. Oh. I, I think that's why my internet is completely fucked up. Just saying. Because <laughs> of Reason Magazine? No, because the government is trying to limit my amount of free speech and stop me from being a bitch on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the government's trying to limit a lot of things. And a lot of people. So, um, that's their way. This is our way. And hopefully, you know, my speech won't be limited by fucking Skype. That's what's <laughs> pissing me off. <laughs> uh, I think I'm looking for a explicit rating on this one, and I don't know why. How are you, Jeannie? Uh, stealing my neighbor's internet. Oh, cool. So, yeah, my mixer doesn't plug into my laptop, so if my microphone is shitty, um, sorry. No, that's no, fine. fine, yeah. Stealing your neighbor's internet. That's cool. <laughs> well, it's one of those things you've got to do these days at least once in your life. Yeah. Well, sometimes you have to. Yeah. I mean, I stole it's, neighbor's internet It's my internet cousin, for so she doesn't months. give a shit. Right. But she also doesn't have DSL like I do, so. Yeah. Uh, my, poor hu- my poor husband is running around like a crazy person trying to fix my fucking internet. Oh, no. Well, That's ridiculous. Either that or he ends up with a really, really, really angry... Mrs. Kershaw. So, yeah. <laughs> well, there there are benefits to sleeping with a guy that fixes the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there are. Um, so, yeah. Um, the subpoena is ridiculous. Um, nobody was trying to hide who they were. They were just saying stupid crap online because that's what the internet's for. Oh, and cats. You see, it's also for cats. You, you know where your government, you see, has got ideas. Because over in the UK, we have a thing called super injunctions. I'm right. sure you know about them. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, you're not even allowed to mention a super injunction, let alone what it's about, who it's <laughs> about. But that, that's what one of the uses Twitter has now <laughs> become for, is people quite openly... Um, leak the information. And once one person leaks it, that's a super injunction broken, and you can't get prosecuted anymore. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's that's Crazy. good that that's what Twitter is for. <laughs> At least it's found a use. I mean, a, a real use. And although, yeah, br- bringing you know, down it, f- 
fascist and oppressive governments and al allowing us to find out what footballers have been up to in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> oh, John, you appear to have gone quiet again. Uh, oh, there I'm you go. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Okay, I stuck a link in the chat. That was from Tech Dirt, and there's copies of the subpoena in there for anybody who's interested. I am so over Skype. <laughs> I'm over Skype. Jeannie's over the internet. You know, it almost feels like somebody doesn't want this show to go off. My stuff's running okay. Is chat broken? Don't think so. Okay. I can't get into chat. Oh. So chat rolls playing games as well. Wonderful. <laughs> it's one of those evenings. I think maybe it's because I'm doing a really weak Wi-Fi signal from the neighbors. It's possible. Oh, and John's cut out again, I think. And oh. you're back. Well, you were for oh. a second. Okay, hang on. There you are. Okay. Let's try this. Right, we can hear you now. Oh. What? Yep, you're audible again. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> you, are, are you moving that tape around? or is? Oh. Oh, gone again. Ah, technology. The wonder. <laughs> you know, this just... Please bear with us while John <laughs> kicks her computer slightly. Kevin, edit this shit out. think the fun and games we're going to have trying to add Alex later if things are going this well. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, yes ma'am. Uh-oh. Nope, I'm gone again. <sighs> oh, I'm back. Oh, we got that. There you are. Keep talking, Jan, so we know if it is. Keep talking. I think yeah. she's just quiet and we think we lost her. No, no, I'm just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. So you can hear me now? Yes. I feel like a fucking Verizon commercial. <laughs> I was just going to say <laughs> Can you hear me now? Okay. So, yeah, no, um, the gaffer's tape doesn't stick so well to a computer that has... Um, It's open mesh, like, on the sides for airflow. Uh -huh. So it doesn't really stick so well to that. So I'm having to hold cables up and everything else. It's fantastic. Gorilla tape. Well, what cable's bad, Jan? Because I've got about 18 gazillion cables in this house. Uh, it's just the line that runs in from my mixer to my computer. That cable is it and it's not even bad it's just that there's so many other cables back there it looks like you know the flying spaghetti monster back there that uh, i think one of them's resting on it so i'm having to like pull out the computer 
and jiggle it and make sure that it's still making a connection. Well, we're all like clay tablet and a stick today, I think. <laughs> Not very. Barry's doing fine. The, well, the rest I, of I us spent, are like I spent back. many hours getting my spaghetti sorted out so I don't have to touch it. Um, you know the really, really you know the to. Windows fail sound? Yeah. That blah, blah thing? My sister's ringtone on my cell phone is that. <laughs> it, well, well, because if I answer my phone and it's my sister, a lot of the time she will say, this is clay tablet and a stick. Because she is technologic. She's challenged when it comes to anything beyond clay tablet and a stick. And she breaks her stuff all the time. And she will call me to fix it. And so I automatically know when I answer the phone, if she says, this is clay tablet and a stick, that she's either messed up her phone or her computer or her tablet. You know, I, I, I don't pretty, mind. I pretty much know if my sister calls me, my older yeah. sister. Yeah, you're yeah, still there, Jen. Computer. We didn't lose you. Okay. Um, I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm over all this audio technology, adding everything <laughs> to everything to everything to make it sound better. I'm almost thinking I might be just better off getting, like, one of those USB snowball mics and just going with it and tossing the mixer and everything. Because I can't do a show without a producer. You know, well, the, just it, the blue Yeti mics are excellent yeah. microphones, but they cost an awful lot of money. Yeah, but you know what? It might be worth it instead of having to replace all these cables and fix my mixer at least once a year. This mixer or one of them will get fried and I have to replace it. And that's not a cheap expense. It's and I still can't humidity produce humidity where you are. It doesn't like technology. Yeah, well, you know, I live in the South. Um, and, you know, we're not in love with newfangled things. Technology is foreign to us. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, and Jan, before you keep on with this, I do have to tell you that at 7.15, I do have to leave. Um, the the man with our two new beehive setups called. Right. And we need to be there to get them at quarter of eight tonight. Okay. So, yeah, I had to go pick up uh, 120,000 bees. Yeah, she's got to oh. be somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she does. <laughs> I have to be somewhere to. to I, yeah, I gotta go be taxi for a bunch of bitches that don't like me. <laughs> well, you say that, but you don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? Um, and I, I know we're going off topic here, but that's okay because you know this show is already starting to ride the rails with yeah the fungicide link you sent me yeah i forwarded that to paul and paul sent it to all the guys in the beekeepers group that he's in and they were all like we knew this (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you know here's the thing if fungicides are doing that to bees what are they doing to us Mm -hmm. to the fruit that you're feeding your kids because god forbid you get an apple with a blemish on it they have to look perfect which means they put all kinds of nasty shit all over them while they're growing yeah so that it looks pretty you know it's uh, i don't even know what to say anymore but it's it's pretty pathetic but there there were actually a lot of of interesting articles but this guy um on what is that um crowdfunding site there's like three or four of them. GoFundMe, Indiegogo. Um, Indiegogo. This guy on Indiegogo made a beehive, but the way he made it, somehow there's taps out the back and you can just pour the honey straight out um, of the back. 
Yeah, but no, it's kind of, it's got like a set of spreaders on it. And so what it does is when you open these spreaders up, it pulls the two sides of the comb apart. Because, I mean, if you ever look at honeycomb, there's holes on each side, but they don't go all the way through. It's actually two sides with the solid backs together. And so, yeah, that that has kind of like this little spreader on it. And you do that, and then the honey all slowly drains out the back of it. Huh. Which is really kind of cool, but I can't imagine the bees being too happy with that. Well, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Wouldn't that be stressful to them? Yeah. Yeah. um, I really think it's a whole lot less stressful to the bees if you go out there once a month and you steal an entire box off the top and you put an entire new box there for them to have their way with well and and you're getting them stoned on the smoke usually so yeah (laughs) yeah because you know i mean and it's we okay we need to go back to your show jim because you and i could do an entire show (laughs) on the food industry and what is fucked up and what is good but um being touted (laughs) is bad yeah um so let's see let me do the carl rove story Let's let's get Jeannie riled up early. <laughs> what more than she already is? Oh yeah. Um, so I, I would like to say I feel really bad that there was a shooting the other day, but it is not my fault. Um, I just thought I would throw that out there because uh, some people seem to think people even speaking about guns or firearms or any of that sort of thing um, will influence people, and I think they're wrong. So let me get up to the wonderful, wonderful Karl Rove story. Karl Rove, only way to stop violence is to repeal the Second Amendment. You with me, Jeannie? What? You didn't even read show notes, did you? Okay. I haven't been able to get on a fucking internet all day. Okay. Republican strategist Karl Rove said on Fox News Sunday, the only way to stop gun-related violence, like the Wednesday massacre at Emanuel African Methodist Church in Charleston, South Carolina, was to repeal American citizens' Second Amendment rights. Um, Jeannie? (laughs) Thoughts? He's a fucking idiot. Okay. Okay. Second Amendment was written for a reason, you putt. Okay. When Chris Willis asked Rove how we can stop violence, the longtime gun rights advocate stated that we have made great strides as a nation in emphasizing with the victims of these types of shootings, but the only way to guarantee they will stop is to remove guns from society. How do we oh, stop Hitler the violence? How do we stop the violence? Rove, I wish I had an easy answer for that, but I don't think there is an easy answer. We saw an act of evil, racist, bigoted evil, and to me, the amazing thing is that it was met with grief and love. Think about how far we've come since 1963. The whole weight of the government throughout the South was to impede finding and holding and bringing to justice the men who perpetrated the Birmingham bombing. And here we saw as an entire state, an entire community, an entire nation come together grieving as one and united in belief that this was an evil act. So we've come a long way. Now, maybe there's some magic law that will keep us from having more of these. I mean, basically, the only way to guarantee that we will dramatically reduce acts of violence involving guns is to basically remove guns from society. And until somebody gets enough oomph to repeal the Second Amendment, that's not going to happen. 
Is he insane? Is he absolutely he's, insane? Because here's the thing. There are enough people out there with enough knowledge, number one, okay? Mm-hmm. There are enough people with enough knowledge out there that we will never be without guns. The oh. only difference is it's going to be kind of like this stupid, ignorant fucking war on drugs that we have that has done nothing but make Colombia rich, okay? And the Mexican cartels. Oh, that's right, but they're outside of the country. It's okay if we make them rich importing things that we have made illegal and allowed them to jack the price up on them so they even get more money, but guns will never not exist. Well, it's yeah, not going mean, to happen. There are so many commonplace things out there that people can get their hands on every day without being on some kind of fucked up terror watch list to make bombs, which is what will happen. You eliminate the guns, okay, the fucking gangsters are just going to be blowing shit up instead of shooting each other, which is going to cause, oh, what? More collateral damage. How fucking ignorant are these people about what actually goes on in day-to-day life in inner cities and with criminals? Are they that stupid, really? Apparently they are. Okay, you've seen Carl Rove, right? Yes. He, he, he looks like he's in the running to be long pig on somebody's table. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think he's all that intelligent. Uh, you know, it... Pretty much people who work for the government um, don't seem to impress me with their intelligence anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, guns are too ingrained in U.S. culture for it to be uh, changed too easily now. Well, and I think the only reason that they're so ingrained in American culture now, Barry, is, you know, Westward Ho was a whole lot more recent to us than the settling of the U.K., Okay, you guys have had people walking your land way longer than we have. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think that they're more ingrained in American culture. Because, I mean, that that's not... I really don't think it's that. I just think that our fight for freedom has been so much more recent. And the fact that we have so much wilderness... I think if you were to go to Russia and try to ban firearms, there'd be a whole lot of shit started there. Because there's a whole lot of wilderness there. Yeah. Um, I stuck something, I'm sticking something in our Skype chat. If, when you see it, if you'd play it. Um, I, oh, hell. I don't even think I can get it in the chat. Damn it. <laughs> Hang on. Um, this is lovely. The computer problems this evening are just <laughs> one after one after another after another. It's fantastic. I gotta plug my keyboard in. I need to get a wireless keyboard. That would cut down on a lot of this crap. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it uh, it is really an interesting, interesting evening. But I don't know how people hear this shit and and think that this is a wonderful idea and it's going to solve the problem. It's not going to solve the problem because most of the gangs and the drug cartels and everything, these people are walking around with fully automatic weapons, okay? They didn't go to a gun store and buy this shit as a legal upstanding citizen. This shit is stolen from the military or or sold to them by foreign military arms companies. So, how the fuck is this going to solve the problem? Sorry for the explicit rating, Jan. That's okay. I was bucking for one. There. 
if you could play that. Um, yeah, you say uh-huh. they are never going to get rid of guns because there will always be information out there. Well, but it's already out there, Jim. Stopping oh, yeah. more isn't going to solve the problem because it's already out there. And all these crazies that they're so worried about have already got it. Right, okay. I've got the... I'm ready to play that. So. Okay. If you think censorship of the Internet is something that could never happen, you might want to rethink your position because the federal government just set the precedent. Using gun control as their rationale, last week the State Department issued two new statements confirming its intention to act as a gatekeeper for when Americans can legally publish online data that could allow someone to make a gun. They sent a letter to Defense Distributed, an organization that has developed a number of design schematics for people to download and use to build a gun with a 3D printer. The government confirmed that it will require the group to get specific permission from the government before publishing its 3D printable gun files online. They say that putting this kind of technical information online violates the international trade in arms regulations because posting this information online is somehow the same as exporting controlled weapons data to a foreign country. The State Department filing also noted that even if you didn't expect a foreign country to read your post on the Internet, it would be a violation to publish it without government approval because the foreign country might get access to it. And while a State Department official reassured us that they won't expand this restriction to general descriptions or public discussions about firearms, this is an extremely dangerous development. Think of this example. Let's say the government issues an almost total ban on trade with a particular country, like they did for years with Cuba. Then, even if you don't intend to share with that country your recipe for a cake or blueprint to build a desk or instructions on how to customize a computer, if this new embargo prohibited foreign exports to that country, the government could, based on this current precedent, claim the power to ban you from posting any of these mundane things on the internet without their permission, of course. And while I don't expect this to happen right now, if you think, oh, that could never happen here, you really haven't been paying any attention. By categorizing online publication as a foreign export, government politicians and bureaucrats have the perfect excuse to aggressively pursue one of their greatest enemies, free speech on the Internet. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked about Defense Distributed before. Yes, last week. Yeah. Uh, and even before that, I mean, oh, yeah. I think Jeannie can remember we talked about uh, Defense Distributed last year. Oh, yeah, when they first released it. Oh, yeah. Hell, and yeah. I always, so, well, me and Jeannie have talked about this sort of thing before as well. And, yeah, I, 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 I knew how to make my own gun long, long ago. <laughs> I didn't well, need a 3D printer to do it. Yeah, I well, I mean, here's... Have. Here, here's the thing. If you've got a, a, a Smith in your house, or if you, 
Yeah, me too. Or if you have access to books or a library. And that information is always there, but most people just use the internet because it's so damn easy. And then taking and hiding that from people. And what are they going to do? Shut down... You know, the the government trying to shut down peer-to-peer sharing has proven to be a futile waste of time and energy. Well, I don't I mean, think so. <laughs> well, governments and uh, entertainment companies put so much resources into shutting Pirate Bay down. And what did they succeed in doing? Uh, they shut down Pirate Bay for about four hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, They do the same thing with Kick-Ass, too. I mean, all these torrent sites, they keep trying to shut down all these torrent sites, and they're back up usually within a span of hours. Yeah, you know, I mean, look at what happened when dis- they tried to shut down Silk Road. Yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> distributed systems. That's the whole point. You can't shut yeah. them down. <laughs> well, you can't, but they keep trying. Um, yeah, yeah so, those FBI uh, warnings are just hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think th- this is why I know I started talking about the, the dark net, and I started talking about the dark net for us because you can see the road the government's heading down yeah. in their quest for, in their never-ending quest for money. They're declaring war on their own people, and they're robbing their own people. And people want to be free, and they will be free, which is why the darknet is so interesting to me. And not because of all of the illicit activity there, but just because people will invent a decentralized system to do whatever it is they're going to do, no matter what. And governments can't seem to grasp this. But by declaring war on their own people and trying to steal more money from them by making more things illegal and finable and, you know, time for you to serve in jail, which they get a good chunk of money from that because most prisons privatized now. Um, you know, you are, in essence, only what you can give to the government. It does not give a shit about you. Yeah. And uh, you know that, very. Yes. You know, um, if you don't oh. meet some sort of preset, pre-qualified idea for productivity and giving to the state what it wants, it will find a way to take you out of the game. It's a well, problem. I was going to say, the the government and politician misunderstanding of internet technology and decentralized routing and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, that comes down to the security agencies. Who are the specialists in it, and who are basically lying to the politicians about what they can (laughs) and can't do. It's a series of tubes. Yeah. Does anybody remember the politician who stood up? I do. I watch enough C-SPAN that I remember this shit. Stood up and went, the internet is a series of tubes. No, it's not. No, (laughs) it most certainly isn't. But these are the kind of things that they tell politicians, so that they can can, they can control it. It's very easy. It's just a series of tubes. No, I'm I'm gonna. um, There's a YouTube clip. I won't play it, but I'll put the link in the chat. It's from a British comedy show called The IT Crowd. Okay, and it's the two IT experts have told their boss about the internet so that she can go and give a presentation on it. Right. <laughs> and funnily enough, the two IT guys may have been taking the piss. <laughs> um, 
but it's a good watch after the show. Um, yeah. But yeah, this this is the kind of thing. Yeah, the experts don't tell the politicians the complete truth because the politicians wouldn't like it, uh, and then the the experts would have their money taken away. So they go, yeah, yeah, we we can we can stop that. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give us more funding. We we need more funding to do that. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh... It would take all the worldwide governments to agree to all act at the same time Well, to take out yeah. even one of these distributed websites. Well, right. And, you know, so the funny... Be, they'd have to take it offline worldwide exactly at the same time. Well, that's probably never going to happen because, no. you know, <laughs> Bangladesh is a little... You know what I mean? Got a little... That's actually what my computer looks like. The power lines in <laughs> India and Bangladesh. People climb out the window and stick a... Never mind. But, uh, yeah, I, you'd never be able to make that happen without no. a specific program, and everyone would have to run it. Yes. Or it would have to be, you know, installed as malware on all these systems. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, they, I they've, don't, they've I tried don't that. That, that doesn't government. really work that well either. They keep getting caught doing that shit. <laughs> well, I know. I'm just saying I don't... I don't put anything past my government anymore. Mm. Um, it's funny how that works. So uh, I got another fun story for Jeannie. <laughs> Is she still here? Yay, me. Oh, um, Police seized six children simply because family was camping. A Michigan what? family. Seriously? Police. Police seized six children simply because family was camping. A Michigan family, which had dreams of camping during their summer in the great outdoors, was horrified when state officials seized their six children simply because they were temporarily living in tents. The nightmare experience for Christopher and Antonia Hernandez began May 19th when Ostego County Sheriff deputies and CPS officials took their children and ended June 10th when their children were returned after the parents won a court ruling based on the fact that the mother and children are eligible for enrollment in the Tinglet Native American tribe. The Federal Indian Child Welfare Act makes it more difficult for state officials to separate Native American families. Michigan has a similar state law. If the family had not had the Tinglet link, the case would still be ongoing with the children still in foster care. The removal never should have taken place. Uh, Christopher and Antonia told uh, this reporter, which has read the court documents, one of which criticizes the family for not having electricity or a water source. Well, that's what camping is. Uh, the family was near a state park and had purchased a pass to shower and bathe there. The parents also had a generator. They'd been living in the tents for nine days when the police arrived. The government has tried to standardize what a home is and what a home must have without consideration for if the children's needs are being met or not, Christopher and Antonio said in a joint statement. This was not a case of neglect, but a case of the government telling us how to raise our children, that we must have running water, we must have electricity, and we can't stay in a tent for the summer. To the government, it makes no difference if the children are happy and healthy. We need to conform to their idea of normal or they can just take your children away. They added, taking children from families needs to be limited to clear cases of neglect and abuse. 
It should be every parent's right to raise their children as they see fit unless the government can prove that what the parent is actually doing is actually harming the child. The children ages 7 months, 2, 4, 6, 15, and 17 had been living in three tents, two of which were large nine-person tents when the controversy began. Our family decided to go camping for the summer to a 10-acre property we are buying, Antonia said, noting that they do own a house. We had intended to stay the summer while we finalized plans on what we were going to do with our lives. We cannot say we would have stayed the whole summer due to the fact that Christopher is donating kidney to his mother and we may have been called home to do the surgery at any point. If this were to happen, we plan to return home for the duration of the surgery and the recovery period, however long that was. The parents simply wanted our children to experience the outdoors and perhaps see if they wanted to live off the grid permanently. We purchased several chickens, a couple of turkey, and a couple of ducks so we could try and provide a portion of our food needs, Antonia said. We set up one tent as a storage for our tools, as I do a lot of woodworking. Another tent was set up as a closet to house our clothes and diapers, etc. As you can imagine, with six children, we have a lot of clothes and other miscellaneous items. Our third tent was set up as a kitchen. The family also had a natural gas stove. The parents converted to propane for cooking and heating water. Six five-gallon containers of water they refilled at the local Walmart. They were also collecting rainwater, several solar lights, and a generator. On May 19th, the parents left the property to do laundry at a laundromat, as well as buy some food and some fencing for the animals. The younger children were left in the care of their 15-year-old son, who was nearly 16. When we arrived back, the Oswego uh, Stego County Sheriff's Department was at the property, claiming to have received a report of squatters on the land, Antonia said. We provided documentation of our right to be on the land, which was verified the next day by the landowner. A CPS representative was also on the property and had concerns about the living conditions. CPS made four allegations, according to the official court document. The family was not in a stable living environment. The family had no electricity or water sauce and was using kerosene as a means of heat. The children were playing in the woods cared by a 15-year-old. The youngest child had a diaper rash. The 17-year-old girl who has cerebral palsy was cold. Antonia told Off the Grid News she knew of the diaper rash and that it had been healing The 17-year-old girl had a temperature of 96, but Antonia said this was after the sheriff's deputy and CPS had the tent flap completely open for at least an hour and a half. When she was admitted to the hospital, it was 97.7. I witnessed her without covers for at least part of that time, Antonia said. I was told by her caseworker that the doctors who examined her said she was very well taken care of. As for the children playing outside in the cold, none of the children were displaying any signs of being cold, shivering, or teeth chattering. As a matter of fact, they kept taking off their coats, which to me indicates they were not cold. None of the allegations, he said, warranted removal of the children. We're given no other option but to, to either return to the house we own or to obtain a hotel room until we could go to court, she said. By law, they are required to a reasonable effort to prevent or eliminate the need for removal as required by law. The case is now closed, and with their children back in their care, the parents have decided not to return to the property. It's sad that they were out of our care for 21 days because we were camping, she said. Um, um, yeah. Since hmm. when is a 15-year-old not a suitable age for a babysitter? Uh, when the government thinks you're doing a shitty job with your kids. And, um, it's, it's actually pretty funny to me because you, you should see the pictures of these kids. They're, they're black and native American. It's, it's interesting. 
I, I just state. wonder, yeah, all, loads of people go camping and hiking. What, are, uh -huh. are they all going to get dragged to jail? Because... Um, yeah, because it kind of, you know, concerns me a little bit because uh, where are we every weekend? Uh-huh. That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's kind of why I said I had a story for Jeannie. Yeah, mm. and, you know, I mean, we take our clean water, we take from home. Right. Um, once a month, we take a 55-gallon drum of water with us. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is for drinking, that is for cooking, that is for taking a shower. Right. And of course, you know, I mean, camp showers are, you get in there, you get all wet, you shut the water off. Mm -hmm. You get everything all lathered up, you turn the water back on, and you rinse everything off. Um, if you want to have a soak, um, go down in the river. <laughs> that, that's what the river is there for. It's called swimming. <laughs> I, have to, yeah. I have to force my grandchildren out of the river. Oh, right. Now, now when, um, you do, when you say swimming... Is there a lifeguard sitting on his little tower? <laughs> mm, no, that would be me sitting on my fat ass on the boat dock. Well, see, they'll probably complain because there isn't an official lifeguard. Yeah. You know, it, it's ridiculous. This is what I was saying, that they're actually kind of declaring war on people. You know, yeah. they get a lot of Child Protective Services... They don't want Gets. you anywhere that you're not paying them the privilege of being, i.e. in your house that you're paying property taxes on, with your grid-tied electricity that, you know, has your public utility tax on, with your grid-tied natural gas. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jan, how many stories have we done where they're, they're fining people for not being attached to the grid or they're, they're fining people for, yeah. for using solar? How the fuck should that be illegal? It's illegal because they're not getting their cut. You know, it, it's like I said, they're declaring war on us. And after a while, what happens in instances like that, I, if you want to see something interesting, there's a couple of interesting Facebook pages and they're not, they don't lean to the right. So you'll have a really hard time looking at this, but you'll, you'll get an understanding of what I'm talking about. Um, there's one that I find very interesting. It's called Revolt a Digital Anarchy. And Revolt a Digital Anarchy shows all of the protests that are having, happening pretty much anywhere in the world right now. So this experience is not exclusive to us. Now, this sort of everything you do is illegal and we want to control what you do thing because we want your money. It's happening everywhere. People do get fed up with it. I just don't think they're going to get fed up with it here really quickly enough to do anything about it. But it will happen. You can only push people so far. And it it's kind of surprising to me that the government doesn't know its own history. Do you know what I mean? That they've pushed people that far. No, they before. do know their own history, Jan. They just think that they are dumbing down public education so far that nobody growing up will know their own history. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I had to relearn American history at, like, 38. And if it, it weren't for Tom Woods in Liberty Classroom, I wouldn't know anything. Like I said, I mean... Well, hell, apparently kids in, aren't even allowed to read Mark Twain. Well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> 
if you're ignorant of your own history, you'll think this is the way things are supposed to be. Oh, like Jan, my- I started a I started a debate. Um, I got <laughs> I was down to my mother's, and right. I'm scrolling through Facebook on my phone as I'm sitting down at my mother's house today, waiting for my mother to finish coffee. Right. And uh, AG, you know who AG is? I do. AG had posted put a post up about um, the Dukes of Hazard and the General Lee, mm-hmm. and I posted a statement on there, and I thought, oh, well, my phone will be tinging all afternoon. People will be bitching about what I said. Right. I mean, it was about how crazy it is that people to this day see a Confederate flag and they just want to stigmatize that, stigmatize that as a symbol of people that are racist. And Mm -hmm. when, when that wasn't even really the main reason for the Civil War. I mean, freeing slaves was one of the myriad list of things well, that they but that wanted to get even, rid of. Well, I mean, it wasn't even the primary thing. And, and let's be honest, Abraham Lincoln said, if I, could, if I could create the Union and keep the slaves, I would. You know, if I could keep the Union and keep slave, slavery legal, I would. It doesn't sound to me like that was necessarily the cause of the Civil War. Oh, the cause was money. <laughs> it's always money. It's always money. Anytime a government is broke, anytime a government needs money, they will take you to war. And if you look at the last, oh, couple hundred years, what has America been doing? It's been at war. Yeah, I mean... That's how you make money. The USA is one of the only countries that's been at war more than the UK. Yeah. it's Well, I mean, it, it's it's a money... It's a profit-building scheme in, in some ways. Oh, sure, it costs some people their lives, but the corporations are fat and happy. Yeah. Well, anyway. I wouldn't say happy. They're never oh. happy. Well, they're never happy until you have nothing and can't afford to buy anything from them. No, no, they're still not happy then either. They want everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. That's very true. They want there to be... The, all corporations want there to be their corporation to be the only corporation that owns everything. Well, I mean, and, and that's the reality of it is they, they start making people focus on stupid shit like the Confederate flag being racist, which I... I you know, I'm and I am not saying that I'm for slavery in any way, shape, or form because nobody should be a slave. Um, I don't agree with slave labor. I don't agree with child labor. Mm-hmm. I I I don't think that the average Mexican should be getting paid a dollar seventy eight a day either. But there's not a fucking thing I can do about that. I don't think it's right, but there's nothing I can do about that. My well, problem I mean- is that they t- take something and they stigmatize it. And, you know, really, the the Confederate flag was a symbol of rebellion, is what it is. It's a symbol of rebellion, not specifically against slavery, but against a mass push of, this is how you will live, this is what you will do, these are the laws that you will follow. I mean, and it was people standing up against what they thought was unfair, not necessarily slavery. And it just drives me fucking crazy that that's what people think when they see the Confederate flag. Or you must be a racist. It's stupid. Well, it's A, it's your history, and and B, people have been 
brainwashed to think that though you know um for for if if we want to even go with symbols and flags for instance if you look at the swastika throughout history not just now and please don't associate me with stormfront cuz those motherfuckers <laughs> are crazy and the people associated with that website have been involved in more mass shootings than anywhere else on the planet but throughout history it was actually a religious symbol that had nothing to do with the nazi party the well, nazi not, party it's not just even adopted really a religious it symbol it's a it's an eastern symbol to do with good fortune and health uh, yeah. it's not even that religious <laughs> well, well but you understand it's just what I'm the saying. nazis like the look of it <clears throat> yeah exactly it went nice with their uniforms and their jackbooted thug thugginess. Total skull um, badges. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, history is not taught by... History is not written down and given to people by the average person who has lived it. Which is a shame because you would learn a whole lot more. Um, the first money in our country had a snake on it and said mind your own business and I think most people don't know that um, and I think this country would be in a much better place if that happened instead of everybody sitting around staring at their fucking phone and being offended by everything well also look, people who, who are looking at the money and see the all seeing eye in the pyramid and start obsessing about Illuminati yeah well <laughs> you know again you can be trained to think about something one way or the other, but the only way you'll ever really know anything is to look at it and do the research and check it out for yourself. That is the only way you'll ever know. Yeah. And most people won't ever bother. So yeah, that was, that was, uh, this show has gone completely off the rails. That's cool. It's good. <laughs> it's actually good. And, um, you can hear me for a long period of time, which is even better. Yeah. Don't move. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I have to keep unplugging my computer keyboard. I really need a wireless computer keyboard. Or just um, an extension on the keyboard. Well, you know, I um, I have a wireless one. It's just the USB dongles in a weird spot, so I switched to my wired keyboard. Plus, <laughs> it's really good for my carpal tunnel, which is really bad. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, trying to find a short one because Jeannie's not going to be here much longer and Alex will be ready in a couple minutes. And I don't think I have anything. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, New York State Senator proposes using GPS implants to track violent criminals. NYCLU calls Saratoga lawmaker suggestion <laughs> an overreaction to upstate prison break. She's laughing. <laughs> well, you know... Three things. They really think the ACLU is going to let them do that. Good fucking luck. Let's Um, lowjack the prisoners. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to lowjack you. Um, It's a high tech and it's high tech and certainly controversial. But with two prisoners from the Clinton Correctional Facility. Oh, the irony. Still on the lam, an upstate senator says one way to track future escapees is to microchip them. Bloodhounds and expensive manhunts are so yesterday when it comes to hunting escaped prisoners. That's the opinion of one lawmaker who says the state should explore implanting tiny GPS devices under convict skin. 
Others say microchipping criminals could have multiple uses. CBS 2's Marsha Kramer reported Tuesday. If you've got convicted murderers, the type of people these two men are, it would make some good sense that at that level, we should have something that we can do to track them, said State Senator Kerry Marchione, a Republican from (laughs) Saratoga. With 800 law enforcement officials still unable to pick up the trail of escaped murderers Richard Matt and David Sweat, and there's a video that you really need to see, but anyway... Um, the suggestion from Marchione to implant microchips in people convicted of serious crimes is picking up steam. I'm in favor of it, but I do think there have to be parameters with respect to the crime itself. I wouldn't do it for arson, which falls under violent, but I would do it for aggravated rape and murder, said Paul Vallis, a security expert and former investigator in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. I see the public safety value in it, not just from an escape standpoint, but also from an inmate control perspective within the institution, said John Shane, a professor at John Jay College. The New York ACLU said microchipping inmates is unconstitutional. It sounds like a knee-jerk reaction. They should plug the security inside prisons, said NYCLU Executive Director Donna Lieberman. As a constitutional matter, it won't survive a challenge because it's an invasion of body autonomy. Shane, a former cop, said it might pass constitutional muster if the chip was removed when a prisoner was released. Removing it when they are paroled, these sorts of things, transitioning from a microchip to an ankle monitor, are all going to have to be explored, Shane said. Kramer asked local residents what they think, and the responses were split. Well, riddle uh, me this, Batman. Yeah. Right. So we have two convicted murderers. Yes. Um, that have managed to escape from a fucking prison. You seriously think that they're not going to be willing to cut a microchip out of themselves? Well, you know... They probably don't even need to do that. If you've put it in, you've probably left a scar, so they'll know where it is. (laughs) So they just put tinfoil around that area, and then you can't track them. (laughs) Well, you know, here's, here's the problem I have with it. And my problem with it is this. Anything that happens inside prison walls eventually works its way out and is done to the undesirables in the general population walking around in the street. I have a fucking problem with this. I have a big problem with this. I can't even believe it was seriously proposed. And I don't care who it was proposed for. That's a fucking issue. Anything they do to them, they'll eventually do to us. I never Does that I mean I'm going to get a free college education soon? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I'm just wondering. If, if they're going to do the bad to us, are they going to do the good to us too? Oh, all right. I shouldn't have said that. I doubt it. <laughs> I, I think they're going to tax the ever-loving shit out of us and throw us in debtor's prison when we can't afford to pay. Well, you know, in, instead of doing Obamacare, I'm of the, of the opinion that maybe the government should have went in and, and taken over... Um, healthcare costs and you know well see you know I'm not even one of those people who's opposed to a sort of NHS system well I'm not opposed to it either but what they did does not fix the fucking problem well it doesn't fix the problem it would have been a lot cheaper to take these 3 million people that don't have health insurance and that's what they were saying the figures were at the time was 3 million people it would have cost us a fuck of a lot less money we all would have been a lot happier we all would have had our fucking health plan still with the prices we were originally paying you know with increases for inflation and all that but if we had just enrolled these fuckers on medicaid 
these poor people. Well, yeah. I mean, Why didn't only, we do that? Only the system to do, exists. All they needed to do to cover those people was to buy two or three less fighter jets next year. I'm not to pay for it. You know. <laughs> I mean, I, I've always said what we actually had in place, and I don't know about your health department here, but our health department is excellent. You can go and get TB testing. You can go and see a doctor. And, I mean, it's on a sliding scale. The only problem most people who can't afford, and it's not that they can't afford to see a doctor. They can kind of, you could kind of afford to go to the county health department and be seen. But most people have a transportation problem. And it seems to me we could have spent some of our tax money fixing that issue. And that would have solved a hell of a lot of the problems that we have at this level. And we don't want to do that. We want to pass a tax and require everybody to buy something which violates so many constitutional standards. It's not even funny. I mean, the Commerce Clause, among other things. You know, Congress was not supposed to compel us to buy a product ever. It's not what well, it exists for. I thought on the point that the oversight of the whole change was completely badly done. Uh, well, of course it was badly done. It was because the corporation... It, it was a fucking train wreck. And all it did was make insurance companies get paid more money, us to lose more money, and just as many uninsured people to be going to fucking hospitals. Well, and yeah, to make I a mean, bigger mess out of the tax system. Well, right, Not but that I the mean, IRS wasn't fucked up to start with. Now it's even worse. No, the IRS are happy, though, because they now have probably even more stuff to deal with all this. So, yeah. They probably got to expand a bit. <sighs> Yay. Well, you know, thank God, because I've always said, and I still stand by it, money is only real because we believe in it. And at some point, when we stop believing money is real, and, and this is what it takes to get to that point, people have to stop believing that the government has their best interests at heart. On a wide scale, and when that happens, you're going to see markets across the world just go completely fucking flat. The government is beyond broken. We're getting to that point. So I um, kind of want to see it. I don't want to live through it, but I kind of want to see it happen because I think at that point, you will have the kind of change you didn't think was possible. But it can't happen until it you know, can actually happen, unfortunately. So um, I know... Hmm? I'm going to bail out on you now. Okay. Um, sorry I was having internet issues, and I'm sorry I derailed the show. That's okay. No, it was good. It was good. I was looking at the this stuff going, I don't have enough to do itself anyway. Yeah. Well, don't forget, it wasn't that. You know, my sound, your internet, yeah. and there wasn't really that much. St I wasn't going to talk about the shooting. I, I can't do that. That that just that whole thing just bugs me. Um, I was going to talk about Carl Rove, though, and that's that's always funny. Fucking <laughs> yeah. All right. I will talk to you all later. Bye, everybody, in chat okay. that I couldn't see all night. Take care, Jeannie. Bye, Bye Jeannie. Okay, you want to... Um, I will uh, try and get Alex. Um, yes. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he's ready. Okay. I just didn't want to cut, because I know Jeannie had limited time. I didn't want to cut into her Yeah. talking. We so. have Alex. Hello. Hi, hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, okay. Welcome to the CASA update for the week of 6-22-2015.
What has been happening, Alex? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we got a rare bit of uh, good news, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fingers crossed uh, towards the end of last week. Um, There is an appropriations bill, I believe that's the way to say it, Um, in in some long-titled House committee, um, a House subcommittee. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say all of it here uh, because I took the time to read it. So nice. um, Uh, never mind. Um, it's a uh, <clears throat> it's an appropriations bill um, in a uh, subcommittee, and I believe the markup is going to the full House subcommittee uh, this Thursday. Um, and included in this is a little paragraph. I think I've got the right paragraph here. I haven't spoken to anybody expert about exactly what this is, and it doesn't have a bill number. It's just um, an appropriations bill. Um, right. But it, it seems to, I guess, with less words but more complicated words, uh, tells the FDA they can't enforce the February 15th, 2007 grandfather date on products newly deemed as tobacco products. Um, So if this little bit passes with this bill, uh, this is certainly a step in the right direction. Um, I I don't know the full process for a bill like this, whether or not this also, I I would assume this also goes through the Senate. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But this is sort of, this does essentially something very similar to H.R. 2058. Um, And and so uh, it would appear that we have two bills working in our favor through the House of Representatives at this time. Um, So that's a good bit of news. And I guess we'll see the full committee markup on Thursday. Um, And in the meantime, it seems that uh, the ABA, and I saw a post this afternoon from the Utah Smoke Free Association, um, and I would assume some other state uh, organizations are reaching out to vendors uh, to engage the vendors and engage their uh, customers, I guess. Right. Um, but for the most part, engaging the vendors to uh, uh, make phone calls and write letters and send emails to their district representatives. Now, this is going to be limited to people who live in districts represented by someone who is on the committee. There's right. a lot of committee members. So, um, and they, uh, I had a list this weekend, um, but uh, it's uh, suffice to say it's a good thing. And if anybody, if, if Greg from the ABA reaches out to you, please uh, uh, follow his I think they would be somewhat, well, hopefully they're simple, <laughs> uh, but follow his instructions uh, because this is very important and um, a lot of support um, would be very helpful in this. I just kind of wanted to rattle off some of the states. That, uh, okay. So um, I don't want to give you the, all the districts 
individually, but uh, Alabama, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Mississippi, um, that's, yeah, uh, Nebraska, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Washington, and West Virginia. Um, and I already hit Georgia and Texas. Yes. Um, all of those states, you guys all have uh, at least one district representative on this committee. Uh, it's the House Appropriations Committee. Uh, and uh, so just keep your ears peeled uh, <laughs> yeah. and look no. for something in the emails. Uh, you will probably be prompted to take action, not necessarily by us. Uh, this seems to be sort of something led by um, uh, reaching out to vendors, which is not mm -hmm. always something that we do. Um, well, right. Which, which makes kind of, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you're talking about taxable income and jobs and, and all these things that are supposed to matter to your congressional representatives, those are the people you would want speaking. They would have more clout than just a consumer. Right. I would assume at least as far as this goes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That so. makes sense to me. So, uh, always good to start off with a bit of good news. And, uh, I guess next week, hopefully we'll be uh, updating about how this went on Thursday. Yeah. Um, and now to the doom and gloom. Um, I, I, <laughs> I have not updated our New York call to action. Um, but anybody who's been paying attention to the New York legislature should know that uh, the Senate adjourned on Friday to pick up business again tomorrow. Um, so as long as the legislature is going into these extra days, um, SB, I believe it's 2202, uh, actually it was AB 5955 that passed right. the House and moved into the Senate. Um, so as long as the Senate is still meeting, this bill is still alive. Um, and we do have an active call to action for this. Nothing has changed about needing to uh, contact your uh, state senator and, and uh, urge them to oppose this bill. Um, yeah. We also have the phone number for the Senate president, John Flanagan. Um, and you can give him a call and please... Yeah tell him how, how bad of an idea this is. Um, and there was, there was some good uh, debate. Well, I guess it's only a good debate if both sides are debating properly. Um, mm -hmm. the, the folks who were in opposition to this bill presented some, some very good counter arguments. And uh, it, it is really kind of amazing how easily people are, are willing to accept the same tripe, <laughs> just trot it out. Um, we watched uh, <clears throat> uh, Representative is it Rosenthal. She's, <sighs> she's one of the sponsors of the bill. Mm -hmm. um, and and she, she is the one that brings up three or four of these things every year. So every right. year we can expect this from her and Kemp Hannon. Uh, and I think there's two or three others that are, seem to be jumping on the bandwagon here. Um, 
but uh, yeah, there were some there were some pretty interesting moments where she was basically called on the gateway claim and had to kind of <laughs> you know fumble through her paperwork and and not come up with any information, just sort of leave it. Like, yeah, I know I heard it somewhere, and <laughs> you know, like. You know, did some guy on the street actually <laughs> inform this legislation? Is that what's happening? Um, so uh, it was it was well worth the watch. Um, New York is, is one of those states where you can watch full yeah. House proceedings. So uh, if okay. this does come to a full Senate debate, I highly recommend people watch it. It's some good TV. Um, so uh, that's New York. Okay. <laughs> Um, I did just uh, follow up on Minneapolis this afternoon. Um, the <clears throat> uh, it's another long committee. Um, let's see if I can dig up what this is. It is the Health, Environment, and Community Engagement Committee, uh, and they met this afternoon around one thirty. It looks like the committee is still. Uh, intent on going through with their it's not really a flavor ban but it it restricts where you can sell flavored vapor products um, and of course for the sake of convenience uh, they have lumped uh, vapor products in with tobacco and I do believe that vapor shops in Minneapolis are already required to uh, have a tobacco dealer's license so uh, if you're in compliance already, then this doesn't affect you. But as we have stated, what this affects is places like grocery stores, pharmacies, bodegas. I don't know if they have bodegas in Minneapolis, but that's what we call them here. Um, corner grocery stores. Um, and, uh, you know, these are places where they're still going to be able to sell regular old cigarettes. Uh, and this is obviously a very important place for current adult smokers to see, oh, wait, I have other options. I, I have, that sounds delicious rather than, you know, smelling like tar and, and burning. Um, maybe I'll try that. Uh, so now they don't have that flavor option. Well, if this ordinance passes, they, they would remove that, that flavor option. Um, and, you know, if there's anything to motivate um, businesses, the dedicated vapor shops in the area, as to why you might want to help oppose this ordinance. Um, right. Yes, you guys are sort of exempted, but just remember that a large majority of your future customers, uh, they their first exposure to these products is sitting next to their favorite brand of cigarette. Um, right. So it's not so much a win for you uh, to, to be exempted from this. It, it really is. It's, 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 it's potentially a big loss um, mm -hmm. to your future business. So um, don't let the fact that you're exempted from this uh, prevent you from, from taking action. And of course, you know, now this kind of effort is, is going to be codified. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it's a short step from saying we're not going to allow selling flavored products in grocery stores to, well, we're just not going to allow flavored products anywhere. How about that? Um, so yeah. um, think long and hard on this before you dismiss the potential consequences of this ordinance. 
Um, and I don't have uh, an update as far as when this will go to full committee. Um, I'm sure it's out there. Uh, pay attention to the Minnesota Vapors Advocacy and then VA. Um, they will likely have uh, updates on this. Um, all I have here is that uh, I lost my place. Uh, the, but the, there was a, a substitute that was approved, uh, and that was, I, I, I didn't quite understand it. I think I'll have to read it like three or four times, but uh, um, so it looks like, okay, no, nothing's been rescheduled. There's no indication as to when this will go to the full committee, if that's even how Minneapolis runs their business. Um, okay. So, uh, Minneapolis papers just keep your gear to the grindstone. Uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that's Minneapolis. Um, I feel like I'm going to be forgetting something. It, it's June. I mean, we really shouldn't be having a whole lot of legislative updates yeah. going no. on. Um, it's, I haven't noticed anything, if that helps um, you. Makes you feel any better. We did release our uh, third and uh, final uh, call to action regarding the FDA workshops. That came out last week, right? Right. Yeah, June 16th. Yes. Um, so this was, um, this was a good one because we actually got Carl on a panel um, and if you haven't read his blog post about his experience on that panel, I, I highly recommend it. Um, and my, one of my favorite quotes from that is don't ever let the, uh, opportunity to, you know, use your, your statement, your conflict of interest statement to actually make a statement, um, which is, I think, uh, he took full advantage of that and, uh, uh, it was quite brilliant. So, um, there's, there's a little bit in this call to action about, uh, expressing some gratitude towards the FDA for allowing a, a true representative of consumer interests to, uh, participate in the workshop. Um, I, I, I think that, is a token thank you that we can offer up. Uh, but much like the second call to action, there are three parts to this. One is a, the simple submission. The uh, part B is kind of additional. You know, if you're feeling so motivated, here are some very detailed and specific questions that uh, would be helpful. And of course, the third part is detailed instructions on how to submit your comment. Right. Um, and so that is uh, available on our website. Yeah, it is. Wow, <laughs> this this is um, wow. This this is one of the first times you've come on, and it hasn't been like forty five minutes of, and and that's Minneapolis. Uh, next is <laughs> this town, this town, this town. It's it's um, wow. Yeah, the politicians just want to enjoy their summer, I guess. I so guess. I, yeah, I, I don't know um, how. I mean, you know, there are just like a half a dozen or more state legislatures that are in session uh, pretty much year round. 
Um, right. So, uh, you know, yeah, whatever, every state's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, there are some people that apparently just can't get enough of legislating. So, you know, <laughs> New York is still in session. Kansas went, uh, you know, a week or two over their deadline. Uh, okay. You know, so uh, yeah. some of these guys just really love that job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they just they save all the budget stuff for last. Now, if they did that first, I think their legislative season would be a lot shorter. And I, I only have that opinion because I watch a lot of C-SPAN. Everything gets crammed into the last few days or few weeks of pretty much any political session, it seems like. And especially the stuff that's going to offend people. Not yeah. offend people, but is going to rile people up and they kind of try to hide it. it it's, it's interesting how yeah, politics it's, works. It's like dumping a story on a Friday. Yeah, exactly. Then nobody's going to know anything happened. <laughs> and of course, and of course, everybody's in a panic anyway. So getting any substantive changes to uh, particularly egregious legislation is, is probably uh, very difficult. Oh, yeah, I would think so, too. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Quick update. So, yeah, I, maybe maybe down the line we can talk about uh, uh, more interesting. Well, not more interesting. <laughs> different interesting. You know, we yeah. have uh, we have some conversation in the community about uh, labeling issues and um, you know potentially some some science stuff. Uh, yeah. you know, maybe maybe Carl would be interested in, in coming on and, and doing mm -hmm. an update. Um, I'm not going to, I don't really don't want to sign people up for stuff that they don't have time for, but. <laughs> right. No, yeah. no, I've, I've actually had, I've actually done a couple of hours with Carl before got, when Karen was, um, the show's co-host, we did, we had Carl on a bunch actually. Yeah, Carl's, Carl's a good guest. Interesting too. And, oh, yeah. and his, his audio does some interesting things. <laughs> So it makes for for interesting sound clips for later. So, um, wow. All right. Wow. Feeling good. Um, HR 2058 is still an active call to action. Um, so urge your Congress creditor. I shouldn't call them that. Urge your Congress member to become a co-sponsor. That's important. And yeah. Um, well, I guess this wraps it up. You can, if you've not already joined CASA, please join CASA at CASA.org or we can give you or help give you the tools to fight government overreach and over-regulation of tobacco harm reduction products. Um, you can see us on Facebook at the CASA.org Facebook page or the We Are CASA Facebook page. Um, we are Casa Media on Twitter, Instagram, Google Plus, I think. Um, so come join us. Um, thank you for everything you do, Alex. Have a good night. Go do something fun. I'll try. I've got okay. I've got some new new TV shows to watch. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy that. Thank you for everything you do for us. Likewise. Thanks. Have a good night. You Bye. too.
too. Wow. New record for shortest. Yeah, well, um, when there's not much to say, there's not much to say, of course. Yeah. Um, no, I still don't trust the government, so God knows what's going to happen. Yeah, they could still sneak stuff in at the last minute. Yeah. Well, they always do. Yeah, that's what governments do. Yeah, they do. They do live for that. Um, so, did did you see what the um, the European Court for Human Rights did, Barry? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's it's pretty much everywhere that the mm-hmm. government wants to assert control over speech on the internet. And it's not just here, but uh, I guess I'll I'll read that. In a surprise decision, the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg has ruled that the Estonian news site Delphi may be held responsible for anonymous and allegedly defamatory comments from its readers. As the Digital Rights Organization Access notes, this goes against the European Union's e-commerce directive, which guarantees liability protection for intermediaries that implement notice and takedown mechanisms on third-party comments. As such, Peter Mick, Senior Policy Counsel at Access, says that the ECHR judgment has dramatically shifted the Internet away from free expression and privacy protections that created the Internet as we know it. Posts from the Media Legal Defense Initiative summarized the reasons why the court came to this unexpected decision. The ECHR cited the extreme nature of comments, which the court considered to amount to hate speech. The fact that they were published on a professionally run and commercial news website, as well as insufficient measures taken by Delphi to weed out comments in question and the low likelihood of prosecution of users who posted the comments and the moderate sanction imposed on Delphi. In the wake of this judgment, the legal situation is complicated. In an email to Ars Technica UK, Jay McIntyre, who is a lecturer in law and chairman of the Digital Rights of Digital Rights Ireland, the lead organization that won an important victory against EU data retention in the Court of Justice of the European Union last year, explained where things now stand. Today's decision doesn't have any direct legal effect. It simply finds that Estonia's laws on site liability aren't compatible with the ECHR. It doesn't directly require any change in national or EU law. Indirectly, however, it may be influential in further development of the law in a new way which undermines freedom of expression. As a decision of a grand chamber of the ECHR, it will be given weight by other courts and by legislative bodies. Manifestly unlawful. One of the worrying aspects of the ECHR decision is that it may encourage the idea that intermediaries are liable for manifestly unlawful content without specifying what manifestly unlawful actually means. McIntyre points out that this is something which may lead to a chilling effect where sites are overcautious in taking down material which might possibly be contentious. As McIntyre notes, also troubling is that the judgment upholds a finding that proactive monitoring of Internet users can now be required. This contradicts the important decision that SABAM case of 2012, where the Court of Justice of the European Union ruled that forcing hostile service to monitor and filter online content violated EU law. Copyright companies will doubtlessly try to use Delphi decision to undermine that key 
CJEU judgment. What's unfortunate is that the Delphi would probably have won had it taken its case to the CJEU, given the e-commerce directive's clear guidance, but this course of action was apparently not permitted by the Estonian courts. Therefore, it went to the ECHR, hoping for ruling that the Estonian law was incompatible with the European Convention on Human Rights. As Access Merricks told ours, the website argued that its freedom to impart information created and published by third parties, the commenters, was at stake. Delphi invoked its Article 10 right to freedom of expression under the European Convention on Human Rights and the ECHR accepted the case. Delphi's unexpected defeat there is likely to have important, if subtle, consequences, not just on the web, but on freedom of speech and privacy across the European Union. So it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Although that case technically, I bet it's going to come back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because there are still some quite large publishers who have websites who won't be liking that at all. Well, you can hardly blame them. No. Uh, well, like, so in the UK, a- the BBC has a massive website, <laughs> and you can comment on so much of their stuff. Right. And so many of the comments are... Oh, yeah. Well, questionable. <laughs> yeah. The oh, they're, they're interesting reading. Um, yeah. But, I mean, now, here's the thing. Um, I know that there's supposed to be a difference between content and marketing and all this stuff. But there's actually a school of thought that says everything on a website is content, right? So it it really is kind of violating someone's rights to just proactively stalk them and remove their stuff over what they might do. And, And that seems like what this is pointing to might actually occur. But like in an in a more open way, yeah. I don't know. It just looks bad. What can I say? Looks bad to me. I don't live there. <laughs> well, yeah. Luckily, I'm not in Estonia either. So yeah. Yeah. No. It's it's good not to be in Estonia. I like it not there. Yeah. Um. And I'm not making fun of Estonia. If you're listening and you're from Estonia, I'm sorry. The vodka's cheap. Well, then it's got its pluses. Yeah. Do you know who Bruce Shiner is? Sorry, what was that? Do you know who Bruce Shiner is? No. Okay, he he runs a blog, uh, Shiner on Security, which is pretty interesting. He he writes about like uh, security and hacking, and all his stuff is really interesting. So you remember last week when the wonderful story broke that Edward Snowden gave all these documents to China and Russia. Yeah. The the shitty story that was I don't know. I think the best part of that is when they interviewed the reporter later on and the reporter said, well, the government told me so they must be right. Yeah. Who, who does that kind of reporting? Well, anyway. That's modern reporters. Yeah. Oh, don't well, fact check. No, that, that's a computer algorithm. That, you don't need a reporter to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, Bruce Shiner from Shiner on Security wrote about China and Russia having the Snowden documents and why. I thought I would read that. Um, Last weekend, the Sunday Times published a front page story citing anonymous British sources claiming that both China and Russia have copies of the Snowden documents. 
it's a terrible article filled with factual inaccuracies and unsubstantiated claims about both Snowden's actions and damage caused by his disclosure. Others have thoroughly refuted the story. I want to focus on the actual question. Do countries like China and Russia have copies of the Snowden documents? I believe the answer is certainly yes, but it's almost certainly not Snowden's fault. Snowden has claimed that he gave nothing to China when he was in Hong Kong and bought nothing to Russia. He has said that he encrypted the documents in such a way that even he no longer has access to them and that he did this before the U.S. government stranded him in Russia. I've no doubt he did, as he said, because A, it's the smart thing to do, and B, it's easy. All he would have to do is encrypt the file with a long random key, break the encrypted text up into a few parts, and mail them to trusted friends around the world and forget the key. He probably added some security embellishments, but regardless, the first sentence of the time story simply makes no sense. Russia and China have cracked the top secret cache of files, but while cryptography is strong, computer security is weak. The vulnerability is not Snowden. It's everyone who has access to the files. The First, the journalists working on the documents. I've handled some of the Snowden documents myself, and even though I'm a paranoid cryptographer, I know how difficult it is to remain perfect security. Uh, it's been open season on computers the journalists Snowden shared the documents with since the story broke in July 2013. And while they've been taking extraordinary pains to secure those computers, it's almost certainly not enough to keep out the world's intelligence services. There's a lot of evidence for this belief. We know from other top-secret NSA documents that as far back as 2008, the agency's Tailored Access Operations Group has extraordinary capabilities to hack and extrafolate. Exfiltrate. Exfiltrate. I'm like, I've never seen that word before. Exfiltrate data from specific computers, even if those computers are highly secured and not connected to the Internet. These NSA capabilities are not unique, and it's reasonable to assume that both the other countries had similar capabilities in 2008 and that everyone had improved their attack techniques in the seven years since then. Last week, we learned that Israel had successfully hacked a wide variety of networks, including that of a major computer antivirus company. We also learned that China successfully hacked U.S. government personnel databases. And earlier this year, Russia successfully hacked the White House network. These sorts of stories are now routine. I believe that China and Russia had access to all the files that Snowden took, well, before Snowden took them, because they penetrated the NSA networks where those files reside. Which brings me to the second potential source of these documents to foreign intelligence agencies, the U.S. and U.K. governments themselves. I believe that both China and Russia had access to all the files. Um, okay, because they penetrated the NSA networks. Uh, after all, the NSA has been a prime target for decades. Those government hacking examples above were un against unclassified networks, but the nation-state techniques we're seeing work against classified and unconnected networks as well. In general, it's far easier to attack a network than it is to defend the same network. This isn't a statement about willpower budget. It's how computer and network security work today. A former NSA deputy director recently said that if we were to score cyber the way we score soccer, the tally would be 462 to 456, 20 minutes into the game. In other words, it's all offense and no defense. In this kind of environment, we simply have to assume that even our classified networks have been penetrated. 
Remember that Snowden was able to wander through the NSA networks with impunity, and that agency had so few controls in place that the only way they can guess what's been taken is to extrapolate based on what's been published. Does anyone believe that Snowden was the first to take advantage of lax security? I don't. We simply have to assume that even our classified networks have been penetrated. This is why I find it illegitimate that Snowden was working for the Russians or the Chinese. Simply laughable. What makes you think those countries waited for Snowden? And why do you think someone working for the Russians or Chinese would go public with their haul? I'm reminded of a comment made to me in confidence by a U.S. intelligence official. I asked him what he was most worried about, and he replied, I know how deep we are in our enemies' networks without them having any idea that we're there. I'm worried that our networks are penetrated just as deeply. Seems like a reasonable worry to me. The open question is, which countries have sophisticated enough cyber espionage operations to mount a successful attack against one of the journalists or against the intelligence agencies themselves? And while I have my own mental list, the truth is, I don't know. But certainly Russia and China are on the list. And it's just as certain that they didn't have to wait for Snowden to get access to those files. While it may be politically convenient to blame Snowden because, as the Sunday Times reporter reported an anonymous source saying, we have now seen our agents and assets being targeted. The NSA and GCHQ should first take a look into their own mirrors. Yeah, all these security guys need to watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. (laughs) Right, but I mean, it's still, it kind of resonated with me only because I think we did do a story last week talking about the government files that got hacked and the only way they found them was that they bought in a third party to do a demonstration on their networks to see how this new product they had worked in. They're like, oh, hey, look, you've been hacked. Oh, hey, look, they're still in there. Hey, look, they've been rooting around there for four and a half months. Yeah. You know, this is our government. They take enough of our fucking tax dollars. They can't build a damn website that works worth a damn and they have no security in anything they have. They don't even have HTTPS, in, you know what I mean, yeah. on their web pages. <laughs> they won't till 2018. What the fuck are they doing with all our money? Uh, paying lots of bureaucrats to move pieces of paper around. <laughs> I guess so. It's a shame, too, because if cyber espionage is such a worry, and if we're so worried that our spies are going to be shot, killed or whatever why aren't we taking steps to protect them and and some of this is just easy stuff that you or i would do yeah i don't understand how the governments can't do it or won't do it well, it makes no sense to me well yeah governments are weird things with us i mean um obviously it's been very handy for certain groups within certain governments all this distraction with the nsa and snowden um, for instance, in the UK, it's GCHQ that's getting all the heat at the moment. Right. In the meantime, mm-hmm. nobody's talking about what MI6 is up to. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's all smoke and mirrors, as they say. But, well, yeah, if, if they're online, they're not secure. It's as simple as that. Well, I mean, it, nothing is 100% secure. And as was mentioned, it doesn't even have to be connected to the net. Yeah. Um, <laughs> air, air gap C- computers, computers come with no... built-in Wi-Fi and all sorts of things these days. So. 
So yeah. Well, I mean, air-gapped computers are no guarantee that what's on there is safe. Hell, in the last ten years, there's been about a dozen government laptops left on trains in the UK. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or they leave their, you know, employee files laying around. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, laying around, but in places where they shouldn't be. Like, somebody was taking them from one building to another and stopped to get a hot dog and just dumped them at the hot dog stand. Yeah. And this is common. These yep. are people that we're trusting with basically our financial histories and, and everything else. In, in the case of the IRS computers, <laughs> I would be more worried about the IRS computers getting hacked. Just as a basic general person, you know, with identity theft running as rampant as it is, hacking the IRS computers would be about the worst thing I can imagine. How many vulnerable no, people um, is that? Do you know, weirdly, one of the best protected computer systems in most countries is? What? Traffic lights. Hmm. Um, Because funnily enough, yeah, the guys that design traffic networks were really, really worried about people going in and dicking around with the... (laughs) (laughs) So consequently, apparently they're quite hard to get into. Oh, so they did what you should be doing when you have something that can be influenced by outside where you are. Yeah. They they took in, did the right thing, and employed, you know, good security measures and encryption and all that sorts of stuff. And our government yeah. just kind of looks at all of our information like they've got... Have you ever been in a house that has, like, an empty room and it's got kids? You know yeah. what I mean? It, they kind of look at it as the kid's toy box where they kind of just throw everything in that empty room and it just kind of looks like crap. And they close the door never to look at it again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think this might be the last one. This is from Tech Dirt. Pentagon offered FOIA terrorist Jason Leopold a stack of documents to just shut up and go away forever. Jason Leopold has so thoroughly aggravated naturally secretive government agencies that he has earned the nickname FOIA terrorists. He routinely files two dozen FOIA requests a week along with MDRs, mandatory declassification reviews, which force the government to more closely examine documents it has previously withheld in full. In the course of these activities, Leopold has also filed numerous FOIA lawsuits against government agencies for withholding documents, not performing thorough searches, or exceeding the statutory time limit for responses. Several government agencies hate him. One government agency hates him so much that it offered him a one-time deal bordering on illegality. In his testimony in front of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, Leopold gave up both the agency and its questionable offer. Leopold, the Office of Net Assignment, is the Pentagon's in-house think tank. They spend millions and millions of dollars putting together reports, reports that they contract out about perhaps some futuristic warfare or what the situation is in the Middle East is going to look like in regards to oil. I asked for these reports. I filed an FOIA request. They refused to comply with my FOIA request. They said it was too broad. I narrowed it. They still said it was too broad. I sued them. Recently, they said that we'll give you some documents as long as you promise never to file a FOIA request again and don't have anyone else file an FOIA request on your behalf. Representative Mark Salzner, California, 
Democrat asked, how is that legal? Leopold says, I don't know, but they put this in writing, and I'm really looking forward to the day when I write this story up. That is what one agency was prepared to do just to keep Leopold out of its file cabinets. But it's not just overt actions like these. It's the little things agencies do to frustrate FOA requesters, especially journalists like Leopold, who are looking for timely information rather than just information. In his testimony, Leopold points out that agencies routinely stonewall journalists in hopes of discouraging them from making further inquiries. If they can delay a release past the point of relevance, it's a PR win for them, especially if the information requested is less than flattering. As you know, FOI requires an agency to make a determination on releasing records within 20 business days. An extension of 10 business days is available in unusual circumstances. I've submitted thousands of FOI requests to dozens of different agencies, and in my experience, fewer than 1% of the requests have been decided within the time frame required by FOIA. My colleagues have had similar experiences. I routinely experience delays of several years. Case in point, Leopold's FOI request for information related to incoming DOJ head Loretta Lynch. My request to the Executive Office of the United States Attorneys for records about Loretta Lynch illustrates the problem that investigative journalists face in using FOIA. I submitted my request the day Loretta Lynch's nomination was announced by President Obama. I saw expedited processing because the records I was requesting relate to Lynch's performance of her duties as the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of New York. And the agency did not rule on my request for expedited processing within the time period allowed by FOIA, I immediately filed suit. The agency conceded that the topic of my request is a matter of widespread and exponential interest, but indicated that it should have, okay, that it should not have to even begin releasing records for several months. My attorney filed several emergency motions requesting that the Department of Justice process my request and produce records before Lynch's confirmation hearing. But the judges presiding over the case indicated that he would not have time to rule on the motions for more than a month. After Lynch was confirmed, my request for expedited treatment became moot. To date, the agency still has not processed the documents I requested. As he points out, this sort of behavior achieves exactly what the foot-dragging agencies hope it will. It discourages journalists from using FOIA requests in their news gathering. And every journalist persuaded to look elsewhere is one more chance to keep information out of the public's hands. Then there are the loopholes. Some of these abused exemptions have been addressed by amendments to the FOIA laws, but there are still plenty of exploitable areas. Congress deliberately chose the words records or information when it amended Exemption 7 in 1974. Prior to that time, investigatory files compiled for law enforcement purposes were exempt. The problem was that the agencies could simply place documents that they wanted to withhold from disclosure inside an investigatory file and then treat the document as exempted, simply because of its location. The 1974 amendment was designed to fix this problem by eliminating the blanket exemptions for government records, simply because they were found in investigatory files compiled for law enforcement purposes. Notwithstanding Congress's clear intention and plain language of FOIA after the 1974 amendment, the FBI continues to withhold information where the record requested is located in an investigative file which is exempt from disclosure pursuant to 5 U.S.C. 552B7A. I have received dozens of denial letters from the FBI based on this erroneous interpretation of the FOIA and the Department of Justice Office of Information and Policy has affirmed the FBI's decision in every administrative appeal I've filed. 
The FBI has not defended its position in court, but instead conducts a new review, applying the proper standard once litigation has commenced. As a result, the issue becomes moot. According to Leopold, the worst agencies to deal with in terms of FOIA requests are the usual suspects, the FOIA, the DOJ, and U.S. Southern Command. Thanks to Snowden's prompting of additional interest in the intelligence community, the NSA has been added to that list. The Oversight Committee has its eye on FOIA reform, and the government could use a swift kick right in the exemptions. But whether or not a so-called terrorist assertions about near bribes and SOP stonewalling will push it further in that direction remains to be seen. So, yeah. Yeah. This well, is this is what they do. That's what bureaucracy is all about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They make a joke of it in films, and people have a laugh. But no, no, this this is what it is. Yeah. They had a big section on it in um, Jupiter Rising. Jupiter Rising. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that film. I wanted to like it. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) It's just an action film. It's not meant to mean anything. You just go in and turn your brain off. Watch the pretty special effects. It's me. But anyway. Um, But yes, the the bureaucrats like nothing better than... uh, Using, using uh, laws that are supposed to be for the public interest against the public. Well, I mean, what I, what I find really interesting is, like years and years ago, they would pretend they didn't know that this was being corrupt and that they were lying to you. Now they just they just do it knowing that it's a lie. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and they know you know, and they don't care. Well, I've told you what the British government gets. Well, okay. What the British government allegedly gets up to with its records, you know, the um, the allegedly. just to wind up conspiracy theorists, <laughs> when when records in the UK become public, because as in the US, there's a time restriction on secrecy, and the British equivalent of the UFO files became available to the public, so loads of journalists and conspiracy nuts rushed in to read what was in the files to find there are lots of files with lovely titles but no paper actually inside the folders. So at some point somebody literally had just destroyed it all and just left the folders just to keep, you know, people guessing. (laughs) Well, I mean, and that sounds like a perfect, you know, it's like it's a game to them. Yeah. It's it's and that that's the annoying part. A lot of us are are very serious about you know fighting for whatever our 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 right to live our life as we choose or or what have you or uh, escape from you know government corruption what whatever. Um, and to these people, it's nothing but a game. Well, who can is, outwit I mean, who the, with impunity? The original names for a lot of spy agencies were things you know. Well. The CIA, notoriously, you know, games theory <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, even the titles they use for these things, you know, you're, it's like, yeah. <laughs> During World War Two, um, I was reminded of this because of Christopher Lee passing away, but the British set up the um, the School of Ungentlemanly Warfare. <laughs> That's what it was called. And that was, you know, the subterfuge and... Counterintelligence. That's what they called it. The school of ungentlemanly warfare. <laughs> so they come well, up with even the titles they use. They're taking the piss. 
<laughs> well, I mean, when you look at it, that kind of makes sense. But they're using those same tactics on their own people. Yeah. And it's worldwide. So it's got to make you question whether the government considers you its subject, whether it considers you at all, or whether it considers you an enemy. Yeah. That's a problem. So, again, I don't have all the answers to anything or everything or even any of these stories. But we have to look at the government and our place within and and we need to think really hard about what comes next. I think that's all I got. Oh, advert. Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. AmmoSeek.com Why spend hours? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I guess that's it for tonight, guys. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go calling me that much. <laughs> it's not right. Um, Jan Welfare Queen. I read it on Facebook. Oh, me too, so it must be true. Everything on Facebook is the absolute truth. Oh, yeah. And in case you didn't know, that was sarcasm. Really? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's hard to tell. So, good night, guys. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.